I think they were such different times that it was hardwired in us and other young women to play the game, to cut through uh, what we were we were up against. It wasn't that I was um, rejected because I was female. It was like, if you want to join our club, play our game. It drives wives wicked. It makes such a golden brown pot. It must be lots of fun to be Hi, I'm Susan Osman, and this is Been There, Done That, a show about women who are shaping our world. They're not just striving, but thriving, and sometimes reviving, as well as pivoting and riveting. Experienced, smart women who are redefining what it means to be a woman in the workplace. You know I can't work without a good breakfast. All right, class, stop typing, please. This week, I talked to one of these women, Rowena Goldman, an experienced television producer who has worked for all the major UK networks. She's co-director of the independent film company Nicotine Films, co-author of a book about Mediterranean food, and co-founder of Yoga Retreats Business. She's also currently collaborating on a stage musical, A Tale of Little Italy, set in the 1920s New York, and she joins me now. Hi, Rowena. Hello, Susan. So let, let's start, first of all, with the musical that you're working on, A, a Tale of Little Italy. It sounds very intriguing. Tell us more. Well, it's set in um, Prohibition period in 1920s New York City in Little Italy. And it is loosely inspired by the, by the story of Giuseppe Garibaldi, who united Italy. But it's really not, not to do with him at all. So it's a kind of a sort of a mafiosi musical, if you like. So are you writing the music or all the words for I don't Well I'm sure. I'm I'm more of the wordsmith so I'm co-writing the lyrics and uh libretto with my brother who has done most of the music. Uh and it is a collaborative effort for something like this you have to build lots of other people into the team directors and casting people and choreographers and you know it is probably the most collaborative art form you can get a piece of musical theater. I read somewhere that uh, a stage musical takes, I think, 13 years along with opera and a Gosh. film takes something about like three to six. Would, would you say that's about the right time frame? I could say you could probably double it on both counts. So have you been working on the stage musical for a while then? Oh, a couple of decades, but we've sort of taken it out and dusted it off and taken it out. And, and with all these things, with all creative endeavours, they have to be of their time. And certainly it is of its time now. And, and why, why do you say that? I just think it's, it's a, a chance for a new form of musical to come through. Uh, there isn't very much that's broken the mould apart from Hamilton. And I can safely say this is not a rap musical. Now, I, I read that your independent film company, Nicotine Films, concentrates on female parts. Now, why, why did you do that? Well, I think there aren't enough uh, female-led films, or at least when the company was started, there weren't enough female-led uh, protagonists. And so uh, the plan was to promote women in, in lead roles, both in front of the screen and behind the screen. And in all my creative endeavours across the board, as you can probably see as you in your intro, I'm a great collaborator. I do like collaborating as a, as a member of a team. Um, and it's just something that, that's, that came to us when we were setting this company up, that let's just promote women across the board. 
Isn't it extraordinary, though, that you had to actually set up a company to promote women when, as Chairman Mao said, women hold up half the sky? Well, indeed, exactly. What about the strong women in your life? Who who are the female in, inspirers, if any, in your life? Well, interestingly, I, I was looking back thinking about who are the people who have most inspired me. Most of them have been women, not all of them, but I would say most of my teachers, all of my teachers, right through from primary school, right the way through to drama school, have all been women. And I had two very uh, dominant females in my life, my uh, maternal grandmother and my mother, both incredibly force, forces of nature. Growing up as a teenager, who did you look to that kind of sort of shone the light on your future path ahead? Who did you think, I'm, I'm going to follow that, I'm going to, I'm going to do that? Or might, you might have even wanted to do it better than the person, but who were you looking to to follow? Well, apart from all the film stars that I was completely obsessed with, um, the other thing that I wanted to do was I wanted to play at Wimbledon. I was absolutely desperate. I was convinced that I was going to be on centre court one day. So um, sports people, particularly somebody like Billie Jean King, who for me was a, a trailblazer for women's tennis. In fact, she took on um, a male tennis player whose name is Bobby, and I can't remember his second name. No, they made a film about it, didn't they? Yes, indeed. When she was trying to fight for for equal pay and the amount, same amount of sets and points to prove that they she was as good as a man. So somebody like her, and then of course tons of authors. I mean George Eliot, who had to change her name, and Virginia Woolf, and all those sort of feminist authors who who you know just were trailblazers in literature. I mean, I just devour female authors anyway. Do you think? much has changed from our grandmother's times to now in terms of how women are perceived, how women are encouraged, the way women are basically viewed? Oh, certainly. I mean, both my mother and my maternal grandmother were, were, were walking examples of failed ambition um, and, and really quite upsetting to watch, to be honest. Um, so my mother got, you know, she was married at 20, she had three children by 23, um, and she was there waiting for my father to come home from work every day. Can you imagine? <laughs> I know that some people still do it, but not in, mostly not in in the West in general. It's just not acceptable. But and that's what she did, and that's what her mother did. Um, so you you say you're a collaborator because um, you talked about your musical, you talked about your film company, but you also co-authored a book about Mediterranean food. Yes. So, so what brought that about? Well, I was working on a television series, a series about the Mediterranean diet. And uh, we'd come across this groundbreaking research from Italy about how red wine and olive oil could promote a healthy heart and make you live longer. And and yes, the proof of the pudding literally is there. Sort of 10 years after that book came out, it all came to pass and it was proven. So that was quite gratifying. Well, so tell us a little bit, what, what exactly is a Mediterranean diet? Oh, it's uh, it's it's rich in oily fish, in in uh, garlic, red wine, um, slow cooked food, olive oil, all the things we love about our Italian holidays, and and now of course have found their way onto our supermarket shelves. So when I co-wrote that some twenty odd years ago, more than that probably, it, it wasn't so ubiquitous that kind of food, and now it is. Yeah, and, and you you said you got the idea when you were working in TV, and I know you're I mean you're fantastically experienced as a producer. But um, I was reading uh, about your work with HIV AIDS. You did a, a very interesting documentary series. Can you tell us a little bit about, about that? I did. I did um, a series 
which was kind of groundbreaking because when I was working in independent television at Thames Television at the time, it was the first organisation that interviewed um, people with HIV and AIDS. But the all the whole crew was sort of covered in PPE outfits, but they filmed it. Um, and that was the company I was working for. Then, then we had a spin-off documentary series called AIDS Update, which was fronted by uh, Sinead O'Connor. Um, and it was just about the whole the whole virus and what breakthroughs were being made to cure it and interviewing people about it. So um, when you say that um, you that you were wearing PPE outfits, is that because people didn't really understand how AIDS was transmittable and they, there was a lot of ignorance around at that time? I yes, went... correct. I mean, it was like 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 COVID in the early days. Nobody knew what was going on. What did you get out of it when you did it? Did it make you view homosexuality and same-sex relationships differently? What 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 impact did it have on you? To be honest, I don't think we even looked upon it in that way. We just thought, what is this illness that people are getting, and what can we do to break the stigma of it? I I, I don't think we approached it from from that point of view actually. Starting off in television, how easy was it to get in? Because terribly difficult, okay. terribly difficult. And why was that? Well, I'd gone to drama school. I'd I'd only ever wanted to be an actress, or should I say, actor, um, from the get go. And then I sort of tried and failed many times to become a professional actress. And I just thought, well, actually, perhaps the way to do it is to um, try and get it out of my system and write about it. So I became a theatre critic. Oh, so. Did you? I was working for um, The Scotsman and Time Out and uh, a magazine called Drama Quarterly, which no longer exists. But I was the theatre critic for all of these. And as a result of that, it sort of got me out of wanting to be up there. So I started to write about it. And then that, through that, I got through to basic journalism and I went into independent radio and I was a radio reporter for a bit. And then I went into television. So that's how I got into it. But I came into television a funny way. I never intended to go into the sort of press and marketing side, but I ended up being a press officer, um, which I kind of finally enjoyed, but I actually wanted to be on the more producing and uh, creative side. Yeah. And and what, what I don't know if you can answer, because you're, as I mentioned, you're so experienced, but what was the most challenging uh, producing role you ever had? I think we did a lot of filming in South Africa uh, for a religious current affairs programme. Um, and we had to interview politicians right in the middle of apartheid. That was very challenging. I remember going out to a, a township in the Orange Free County um, and interviewing a clergyman uh, in his church who was absolutely standing there justifying the Bible's um, response to apartheid, saying that it was absolutely fair and God's will that uh, people should be segregated and there were proper grounds for it in the Bible. And we had to sort of follow that as a crew with with this kind of neutral background going, we just do not believe this. Yes. We cannot believe it. It was extraordinary. It was like going back into an Amish community in the 17th century. I, I want to just, because you seem to make it seem effortless, the things you've done. I think that like all successful people, they say, I did this, I did that, and I did that. But did you come across a lot of resistance being a woman in, in telly and, and doing some of the things that you did? 
I think they were such different times that it was hardwired in us and other young women to play the game, to cut through uh, what we were we were up against. It wasn't that I was um, rejected because I was female. It was like, if you want to join our club, play our game. And what were, what, what were the rules of the game? Did you ever find out? Well, yes, I did. I mean, we all did. We we were all colluding in it, silently colluding in in a game that 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 let you surf your way, if you were lucky, through through the sort of predatory and sexual harassment harassment behaviour that we all grew up with. You either navigated it and shut up, or you resisted it and you were out on your ear. So you know anybody who made so called made it through. In a sense, not got blood on your hands, but we've all got something to answer for because we didn't have the courage of the of today's women in the Me Too movement. We just didn't know how to join forces and articulate what was quite clearly happening in front of us. Do Do you think that as women, you did it at the expense of other women who weren't able to navigate their way through? No, I don't think so because I think if you have drive and motivation and ambition, then then you find you you justify a way of doing it and hopefully you don't tread on people's toes doing it but you just say look I respect the way that you want to do that but this is what I need to do in order to get from A to B it's not great looking back and you think crikey why didn't we call out more when when we when we could have um but we just didn't times are different I mean with the Me Too movement do you think it's just the men who are at fault or the women as you've just mentioned who perhaps witnessed things and remained silent because that was their way of navigating it I just think culturally we didn't know how else to behave I mean we can all regale stories of little things that have happened to us I mean nothing monumental happened to me but incrementally they stacked up to little injustices on a weekly on a weekly basis if not a daily basis Well like what for example I remember an incident where I was at a quite a, a glamorous event and I was in my early 20s. And at that stage, I was trying to break through to become a television researcher from being a press officer. And there was a, a man who I was due to be interviewed with uh, the following week, and he was in quite a powerful position. And um, he made incredibly inappropriate physical gestures towards me. Um, and I did nothing. Right. Which today would just have been absolutely unacceptable. And I did nothing because a tape was running in my head that said, you're going to be interviewed by this man, you want this job, suck it up. So what do you think generally of the hashtag Me Too movement? Do you think it has brokered change or do you think it's become a little bit diluted? Oh, it's definitely broker change. Absolutely. And it's also spilling over to other injustices across the board and everything we're seeing um, from gender identity politics right the way through to trans rights is, as I think, as a result of the Me Too movement um, for good and for bad. So, yes, it's been groundbreaking and hopefully will continue to be so. Now, you, you mentioned you're very collaborative, but the one thing you didn't collaborate on was being a mother, because in your late 40s, you decided to become a single mother, not just one child, child but two. And so you were very much a pioneer at the time of having them. And you chose a very unconventional, unorthodox way of starting a family. Can you tell us a little bit about that, please? Yes, I can. Actually, I didn't choose to have two. <laughs> I don't think any of us go, oh, guess I think I'll have two or three or possibly five. Um, yes, I mean, I was having so much fun uh, in, my, in my television career 
that I didn't suddenly, I sort of stopped and went, gosh, I appear to be 38. (laughs) (laughs) And I I, I just suddenly thought, crikey, I better get on and have a, have a, a baby. And so then I asked a lot of people who were in my life, both romantically and, and otherwise connected, either brothers of friends or you know, ex-boyfriends or something like that. Nobody came through. And I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to go and do it on my own. So that's what I did. And it was a, you know, it wasn't an easy path. It wasn't an easy journey, but I was absolutely determined. Um, and the one thing about me is that, you know, if you say no to me, I generally try and find a way to reverse that. (laughs) So a a lot of people were saying no. And in fact, when I went to the fertility clinic, uh, Professor Ian Craft, who is, you say, who was a great influence, he's probably one of the very few men apart from my father, uh, who have been of a big influence in my life. He is, he's passed away, sadly, but he is a pioneer in, in IVF. And he was the one who said to me, just just don't give up. Do not give up. And and if you find that your own eggs are past their sell-by date, we will help you have a child. Just stick with us. It will happen. And it did. It came to pass. So you didn't use your own eggs, is what you're saying? No, I didn't. So both my my girls, my non-identical twins, are double donor conceived. So they have an unknown sperm donor and a known egg donor who is a friend. And how did people react when you when you did that by yourself? Well, you're bearing in mind this is nearly 20 years ago. So it was, I suppose, not as prevalent as it is today. Um, nobody really turns, you know, blinks an eye about, about that now. But at the time, um, I got mixed reactions. I got I got good on you to all were a little bit concerned. Uh, and one so-called friend of a friend who is no longer a friend said it was absolutely disgusting. Oh, why? Why was that disgusting? Um, who knows? Oh. Who knows? But people have very funny views when it's out of their comfort zone because it's about them, not about the, the protagonist in the story, who happened to be me. <laughs> yes. So so you've you've brought up two young girls, two young women now, by yourself, I mean, no mean feat for for anybody normally, but you you chose to have the children in an un, an unconventional way. You chose not to marry and be conventional. How have you how have you brought your two girls up? What lessons are you imparting to them about how they're going to then pass on through their life and navigate their way through life? They are very fortunate, in as much as they're. They're helped by the changing times and and the legacy of the Me Too movement. So they will never find themselves in the situation that you and I found ourselves in when we were starting out in our careers. Because everything, even every little injustice will be called out. You hope. Yes. One hopes and prays. But I guide them to be independent minded, to stand their ground on their thoughts and opinions and to be authentic to themselves. And I suppose those three values were not something that I necessarily grew up with or believing about myself or that I could achieve. And what's been your biggest challenge to date to be a single mother of two children and and, and run a successful career concurrently? Well, it's juggling. It is obviously, it's it's the age old thing. It's juggling it all. Juggling it all. But the fact is, if you want to bring up children today in, in in the fast-paced world that it is now, much more bonkers than when we were growing up. And with all the pressures of social media, you literally have to put your other life on hold if you want them to be, you know, anywhere near balanced and civil, civil made up, paid up members of society. You simply have to put the rest of it into the second place. There's no way you can do it all. 
And what are your thoughts on on the role of older women? Because uh, from you know what you said that you you believe life is better now in the post Me Too movement, but in the, in the media, which is where you're very much uh, based, do you think women have a tendency to become invisible and disappear over the age of fifty? I think there's it's very easy to, oh, hundred percent, very easy. You have to work incredibly hard not to disappear. Yeah. So what 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 do you think old women can do to make sure that they have visibility in in the, in this That's a very interesting question. Um it's a really I think it it has to be done on an individual basis and and a lot of women tend to, tend to hide behind their partners because they've had to. Um and then it's very difficult to get out of out of that kind of institutionalized um relationship. Now I I, you know, I'm not in an institutionalized relationship, so I don't know what it's like. But from what I observe, uh, a lot of women are, are sort of put down. I find uh, in in traditional relationships, not not always, but sometimes. Yes, it's it's rather like when you're in a social setting and and uh, the man's holding forth, and the older woman just stands silently, like the lampshade in the corner. <laughs> You're right, exactly, like a lampshade. You're right. And, I, you know, would turn her on and turn her off at the end of the evening, and that's her role, you know. That, and then that... you feel like you want to jump in and rescue them, and you just thought, well, you know, you can't because you don't know what other people's stories are. You just don't. I don't know. I just, I still, I st- it still gets me that when women get married, they give up their names. It still gets me that women tend to stand back from their husbands and, I, I was talking to someone the other day, and I, I asked them, "What have you, what, what have you done in the last five years?" And she said, "Well, I was there to promote my husband's career, and then one day when he was very successful, he got up and left." And I went, "Oh, and 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 then and then what?" And she said, "Well, then I had to decide. Well, who was I? Because I'd been this man's wife for all these years." Well, I think what is depressing is the fact that the, the female is it finds it so easy to sublimate their own ambition and identity behind a man and that that's more interesting what is that about the female brain and if you look across the creative industries it's, it's slightly better now but mo- the supporting roles in 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 film and tv are are women in general um and not and not the men so so where do you see rowena goldman in 10 years time what an interesting uh, question um well i think first and foremost um Somebody who is very happy with their personal situation and has brought up two two very lovely young women who are happy in their own skin. That would be for me the biggest win. Um, and and also concurrently, I'm not going to say secondly. You know, pr- having my career go from strength to strength um, and being a, a very successful screenwriter, um, co-screenwriter, co-author, um, author, independent novelist. Um, musical writer i want to do lots of lots more writing but i also want to get involved in um charitable projects as well like but things with a political resonance so what would be the one pitfall that you would advise your daughters to avoid given your experience to date um i would say never never wait for something to be right you know when you're young you always think you know, it's a kind of weird dichotomy because, on the one hand, you're more prone to want to t- you're more prone to take risks and not think about stuff. And then the other hand, this is what I'm observing with my two, and actually when I look back on my younger self, that you you stop yourself 
taking the plunge or making certain decisions because you think, well, what if it's not right? And what if it's not this? And I better wait until it's just right. Well, as we well know, there is no such thing as a right choice or a right decision. You sort of go on your gut instinct and you go down a particular path and then circumstances show themselves and reveal themselves. Um, so I would say that is the that's that's the route to to true authenticity and really achieving your potential is just to sit back and sort of say, on balance, let's just just go for it. But it's quite hard when you're a young person to make those choices and decisions. It comes with maturity. Raina Goldman, I can definitely say that you have been there, done that. Thank you so much for talking with me. Thank you for listening to Been There, Done That with me, Susan Osman. Visit us on btdtshow.com for more interviews with dynamic women. And I'd love to hear from you as well. So please leave us a review and subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. These are words of respect. How can you tell when you're really in love? And look how flaky it is. The girls weigh each portion of food they select. The Been There, Done That show is brought to you by Dan Hall at Pup Media Consultancy. We can still have a lot of fun, can't we? Your manners are showing. I'm a princess. Mabel loves cooking and does it well. Overweight makes an individual undesirable. Lovely stockings. And you think that's all that matters?